morning, everybody. Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Um, this is not only a new day, not only a new year, but we're starting a brand new text. text is called Feminine Faith. The subtitle that I've called it is the Kabbalah of Women. It's really more of the Kabbalah of feminine energy. That's really more uh, appropriate. If you don't have a copy of the book and would like a copy of the text we're going to go over today, at least some of the text we're going to go over today, um, let me know. We'll pass these down. Please take and pass. Please take and pass. So first of all, I would like to... Uh, I want to start off by explaining that this topic is very appropriate to this time of year. Um, I think it's a theme that gets lost um, amidst the high holiday excitement and amid, uh, perhaps amidst the, uh, the liturgy and, and all of the prayers that we recite on Rosh Hashanah. But there is a very prominent role that the, uh, the feminine, the, uh, the women, play in Rosh Hashanah in the service in the prayers, in the Torah reading, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read about the story of Sarah giving birth to Isaac. The, the miraculous story of Sarah's giving birth. And how then it continues with uh, Sarah uh, being very conscious, of being very aware of her son Isaac's education. And when she sees that there is, go, that there is um, an obstacle to her son's uh, flourishing education... In the form of Ishmael, she says, he's got to go, they have to go in different directions. Ishmael has to, move, has to take his journey down another path so that Isaac can grow and flourish into the, in the direction that he needs to flourish as the one who is carrying forth uh, the torch of Judaism. Abraham, our, the Torah tells us, we read this the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Abraham is very hesitant. He says, because it's his son, it's not Sarah's son, but it's his son. He says, I don't want to send my son away. And God says to Abraham, whatever Sarah says, listen to her voice. Call Asher. <laughs> I didn't know your name was Sarah. Call Asher. Right, of course. That's, what, that's my point. That whatever Sarah says, listen. So our sages tell us that from here we learn that both Abraham and Sarah were prophets. And Sarah's prophecy, her degree of prophecy was much greater than that of her husband's. We also learn that the, the mother, or a mother, has a much stronger, in general, again, we have to be careful with these generalizations, but the mother has a stronger sense of education, of protecting the education of the child, even more perhaps than the father. In other words, there's a sensitivity that, that the mother has that the father uh, may not have. In the Haftorah of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read about the story of Chana. Chana who prayed for a child and who dedicated the child to, uh, to the Beit HaMedrash, to the temple, and who her child grew up to be Samuel, Shmuel Hanavi, the prophet. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, we read about the story of, uh, in the Haftorah, the story, uh, it's from the book of Jeremiah, and it tells how uh, tells the prophecy of exile and a prophecy of redemption. And in the prophecy of redemption, it says that what is the catalyst, one of the catalysts of the redemption, it says, Rachel that Rachel, our matriarch Rachel, is crying 
for her children, and I was begging God to return her children to their former glory. And as I pointed out in, uh, at services on, on the second day of good morning, on the, uh, the second day, good morning, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, it, it's a party. <laughs> um, <coughs> so as I pointed out at services, um, the, it's interesting because we read about the story of Abraham and his dedication to God as a merit for us. But when it comes to Rachel, we don't read about her story to be a merit. She actually is continuously praying and crying and beseeching God for her children. In other words, the difference between a passive role and an active role. For the page, for Abraham, when it comes to Abraham, Abraham did amazing things in demonstrating his dedication to Hashem again and again, passing all these tests. Ten tests, our sages tell us, that Abraham had, he faced and passed. And we recall the stories of his, uh, of his faith in order to, to bring merit upon us. But when it comes to Rachel, we don't talk about her story. She actually prays for her children. This is, again, the difference between the feminine and the masculine energies. So, what this series is all about, as I said before, is the Kabbalah of women, or more precisely, the Kabbalah of the feminine energy. So there are many books that have been written on the subject of marriage, relationships, men are from here, women are from there, right? Different, the differences between men and women. And there's a lot to talk about. But Kabbalah does something unique. What does Kabbalah do? Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Kabbalah goes straight to the source. You see, in life, or in everything, there's always cause and effect. Cause and effect. Reminds me of the story. The story goes that there was once an ancient community, an ancient, a community of yesteryear in northern Africa that was very much dependent on rain in order for it to survive. It was a farming place. Agriculture was big. And there was a drought. So what do you do if you're an old Jewish community and there's a drought? What do you think you do? Pray. Pray. Pray, pray and fast, right? So they call together a communal day of fasting and prayer. And they make it mandatory. Men, women, and children have to show up on this appointed day. They obviously, it's scheduled soon at the synagogue. Okay. So, everyone shows up. And the rabbi of the community, who was known then in the northern African communities as the Chacham, it's the wise uh, individual, the Chacham is there in synagogue looking around. And everyone's waiting. And he's looking. He's looking. He's looking. He said, what's wrong? So he says... We're waiting. There's somebody that's not here. So he tells his attendants, we got two, two attendants, you got to get, there's somebody who's missing. So they track down this, uh, this person's address, and they, the two representatives go to his house to bring him to this communal day of fasting and prayer. They show up to the house, knock on the door. He says, yeah, how can I help you? We're here as a delegation from the Chacham. Everyone's waiting in the synagogue. It's the communal day of prayer and fasting for the got to get rid of this drought, we got to get the rain, we need you in synagogue. He says, ah, so old-fashioned. So, praying for rain? Seriously? You're praying for rain? What's the connection? Praying for rain? Praying for rain? He says, I'm a man of science. I'm a man of science, he says. I know how these things work. If you want it to rain, I'll make it rain. He closes the door, and these two individuals are now on the outside. Closed, or they were actually still on the outside. He closes the door, 
few moments later, they hear loud cries and screams, like a struggle. They're fearful of this man's life, because they hear screaming and agony and shrieks. They open up the door. As they open up the door, a flash, a blur, shoots out of the house, right past them. They're shot. They're, what's happening? And the man comes out, and he says, You fools, you ruined everything. The cat was almost behind the oven. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, every time it rains, my cat hides behind the oven. So I was about to stuff, I had just about stuffed the cat behind the oven when you burst open the door and it frightened me, frightened him, and he ran out. And now it's not going to rain, you see? You silly people of faith, you. Alright, so that's, uh, that's the story. So obviously, what our friend in the story failed to, uh, to get was the di- distinction between cause and effect. Right, the cause is the rain, and the effect is the cat trying to get warm, stay warm, and hiding behind a kind of day like this. Kind of chilly. We all need an oven to kind of you know, curl up behind. Anyway, maybe that's just me. So, <laughs> so cause and effect. So you have, so, like I said before, so many books... So many, just so much about this topic of men and women and understand the differences, the distinctions, the similarities, the whole, the whole gamut. What Kabbalah does is it distills it to the essence. Kabbalah gets to the source. When you understand the source, on a spiritual level, on a soul level, what distinguishes the feminine energy from the masculine energy? Once you understand in the source, then you understand where all the details are coming from. Otherwise, you just understand the particulars. Well, it's like this and like this and like this, but I don't really understand why. It's so confusing, right? I don't get men. I don't get women. Why, why are they behaving like that? Why are they acting like that? Why? What are the roles, healthy roles of men and women? Right? When we understand on a spiritual level, the source of the masculine and feminine energies, we can better understand the entire picture. So in the text that we're about to study, we don't get into a lot of the details. We focus mainly on getting to the source. Because the details we know and we see. And the details are what we get stuck at. We see the details and we get confused. We see the details and we ask questions. Here we go to the source. And when you're at the source... The questions are answered. I want to share with you another few ideas along these lines. There were two famous sages of old who were sparring partners. Not rocky, you know, sparring partners, but they typically had differences of opinion with regards to various uh, subjects of Jewish law. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai. In fact, they each uh, created an academy of, uh, of higher Jewish learning that was called Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, which means the, the house or academy of Hillel and the academy of Shammai. And in the spirit of their founders, the academies also disagreed on many points of Jewish law. In fact... It's hard to find an area of Jewish law that they discussed that they didn't see it differently. And you look through the Mishnah, 
and through the Talmud, and you see debate after debate after debate. And again, by the way, we have to remember, just this is very parenthetical, that the debates of Jewish law were very, always very respectful. Never about, I'm right, or you're, you're wrong, or I'm right, and you're... It was never about me, never about ego. It was always about truth. Right? It was always about the pursuit of truth, and in the pursuit of truth, there are different ways of understanding it. The point is that there are many points of dispute, many areas of disagreement. Respectful disagreement, but disagreement nonetheless. Kabbalah teaches that the source of it all is because their souls, the soul of Shaman, the soul of Hill came from different places. The soul of Hillel came from the world of Chesed, of kindness. So Hillel always takes the more lenient opinion on whatever it is. Hillel is always the kinder gentler opinion. And it reflects itself. If you have, in other words, if you hold on to this theory, if, if you hold on to this truth, you'll see it play out in all of the details that seem completely unrelated. Hold this truth and you'll see how it's reflected in each and every argument. And Shammai was more what came from the world of Gevura, the world of severity, the world of exact uh, precision. He was more exacting. He was more demanding. He was more uh, more of the strict opinion. So if you have this distinction, you understand where the souls come from, how they're looking at reality, then you can understand why they expressed themselves, why they understood Torah, Halacha, Jewish law in very different ways. So which is true? They're both true. Chesed and Gvura are true. In fact, Kabbalah teaches that there are seven... Um, the spectrum of human emotional experience has seven dimensions. There are seven dimensions in the spectrum of human, human experience, of human personality. These are the seven emotive energies. They're divine creative energies, and they're also reflected in the human being, which is created in the divine image. Chesed, kindness, gavura, severity, um, uh, teferis, which is compassion, different than kindness, by the way, uh, netzach, which is ambition, hod, humility, yisod, uh, connection, relationships, and, and malchut, which is communication. So you have these, a royalty communication though, specifically. So you have these seven ranges of human emotions, and they're all valid. One might be on one end of the spectrum, and the other person might be on the other end of the spectrum, but they're all equally valid and reflecting the same truth. And so, this is something that we have to remember as we talk about the masculine energy and the feminine energy, is that they're both holy energies. And even though this text focuses mainly on the beauty and the splendor, the majesty of the feminine energy, guys, don't get offended. This is not in any way. No, of course, you're not, there's, nothing, there's nothing offensive here at all. I'm saying as we extol the virtue, as we explain you know, in, in, in beautiful uh, detail, the power of the feminine spirit, let's recognize it at the same time, there's a powerful masculine spirit, right? And, there's a, and the, that, that has its own beauty. And what we have to, we tend to, as human beings, go to either extreme. We're very extremist. So either it's, you know, as, a, as uh, historically we've done this, either I'm better than you, Right, that two people are different. So either, as human beings, I'm better than you, I'm great and you're and you're nothing, or 
if we're really enlightened, we say we're both the same. Kabbalah teaches, Judaism teaches that the truth is in the middle. You're not the same, but no one's better than the other. It doesn't have to be either. One is the dominant, one is, one is the better, and one is the inferior. Or, there's no difference. It could be that there are differences, but both have their value. And I want to point out, I want to read, such a beautiful, powerful text. I have this, it's not in the book. It's, uh, it's called from the Arizal. Who's the Arizal? Who was the Arizal? Rabbi Isaac Luria, Yitzchak Luria, uh, the famed Kabbalist, uh, lived about 500 years ago. So let's, let's pass, this, pass this around, please. Take one and pass. Rabbi, are you ask a question? Sure. Um, so I know in other traditions, just like in general discussion, we talk about that men and women both have masculine and feminine. Yes. So from a Perspective yes. Well. yes, 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 yes. That's another point that I was going to mention soon, because this taxes to that point, but might as well mention it right now, that when we speak about, when I said it's more apt to call it the Kabbalah of feminine energy as opposed to Kabbalah of women, it's because men and women both have both energies. It's just, it's like everybody has all seven of the emotive attributes that I spoke about before, the Chesek but there's a certain blend in which one is prominent or dominant over the other. So typically, women have a more dominant feminine energy and men have a more dominant masculine energy. But as it plays out, in practice, is almost not as relevant as understanding the, pure, the source of what is the energy. And then we can adapt it into real-time situations. But if we just look at, the, if we look at how it plays out and we try to figure it out, it's almost like it's almost like making a, putting together a puzzle without seeing the picture, without knowing what the picture is supposed to look like. It's going to be much harder than when you know what the picture looks like, and then, ah, that's how the puzzle fits together. It's like you see the solution before you see the problem, which is a good thing, right? Not that there's a problem, I mean the question, solution question. Okay. Does everyone have a copy? Did the copies get stalled, or were they all passed around? They all got passed around? Okay. We may have to double up, uh, but... Okay, complimentary. John, will you please read? <coughs> the person to whom our Torah speaks is neither man nor a woman, but both combined. For this is how Adam was first created, and this is how we are in his essence. Two half-bodies that are truly one. <coughs> the minds are two, but the bodies, the souls, and the very core of these two people are one and the same. Look what he says here. He says that the ideal human being is really a composite of man and woman. In other words, and again, the point here is, and he says that's how Adam was first created. As we've had, bef- as I've mentioned in classes previously, it says in the Torah that, that the first human being was created, Zachar unekeva bara otam, male and female, he created them. The first human being was created male and female. Now, that was on a literal sense, and then, they were se- then male and female were separated out. But on a, uh, on a spiritual level, this is, this is still true. That a soul, a, a whole soul contains really both halves. A, uh, an entire unit, really, a whole unit contains both the masculine and the feminine energies. Continue. This is why the character and responsibilities of a man and a woman differ. For each side of the body does its part to complement the other. 
it would be redundant, after all, for both sides to do the same. This is what the Arizal says. This is what the Arizal says. It's a powerful thing. Powerful, and it's the point that I, that I was trying to make before. That there's a distinction between man and woman, or masculine and feminine. There are distinctions, but the distinctions are designed to be complementary. You ever hear of the expression, opposites attract? There's a reason why, Kabbalistically, opposites attract. Why opposites attract? Because there's something that happens when you put together things, people, things. When you put together forces that are not the same. There's something that happens. There's something greater that's born when you put together two that are distinct as opposed to just one that's the same. So as he says at the end, it will be redundant for both sides to do the same. So the masculine and feminine have different energies, in a sense different natures, different personalities, and indeed, as we see reflected in uh, Jewish practice, different responsibilities, different roles. So this is something to just keep in mind uh, by way of introduction. What is the Arizal? The Arizal, it's, it's an acronym for... Oh. Arizal is... What's the Aleph? <laughs> what is the Aleph for? Arizal. Ri is Reb. The Yud is Yitzchak. And Zal is Zachrein Olivracha. May his memory be, uh, be blessed. The, uh, no, no. <laughs> um... Something. Okay. Yeah. But that's an acronym for his name, Yitzhak Luria. Uh, if you've ever heard of Luriana Kabbalah, that's, that's, that's him. Arizal. Yitzhak Luria. Okay. Good. The Nusach of Davrin, the, the, our prayer book, the Chabad prayer book, is based off of his, uh, his prayer text. If you look in the Siddur, it says, based on Nusach. The text of the Ariza, of the Ari. All right. Good. So this text is all about understanding the Kabbalah of the feminine energy. Getting to the source of understanding what it is at the source. The spirit, the soul, uh, where it comes from. So let's begin. We're on page 22. The first 21 pages you don't need to know about. (laughs) The real magic starts on page 22. I'll just give you some background on this text. And first of all, uh, before we start, does, I have more copies. Does everybody have a copy? Either a book or a... Yeah. Everyone has? Everyone's got one? Anna, you have one? You have? Okay, good. Everyone's covered? Fantastic. Okay, this discourse, some historical context, this discourse was authored... In the year, let me give you the year in a second, uh, 1890, by the fourth Chabad Rebbe, whose name was Rabbi Shmuel Schneerson. And it was authored in a city called Lubavitch. 1890. In 1890. Now, of course, that is when this present discourse took its shape. But the ideas upon which it's based are, of course, ancient Kabbalistic teachings. This was just formulated in this, uh, in this, in this form um, at that time. Okay, so let's begin 
page 22. Uh, Joanne, take it away. Let's start from, uh, from the top. A holiday for women. We shall attempt to understand the concept of Rosh Hodesh, literally the head of the month. Just as the head contains the overall vitality of the body, the head of the month contains the overall vitality of the entire month. So now I have to give a little bit of a disclaimer before you start. <laughs> I know you already started. The way, the way many Kabbalistic discourses work is that it kind of starts, the terminology is, uh, that's used is there's a passport that gets you in to the, to the discussion. There's a pa- you, got, you can't just go into the country, right? You want to go into the country, you need a passport. You want to get into a Kabbalistic discussion, you have to have a segue. You have to have an entrance point in. You have to have a passport. The passport usually comes in the form of a verse, a topic, a question. You ask a question, a detailed question, whatever, kind of a technical question. All of that is the entrance way to get you into the real meat of the discussion. The entrance way here is the topic of Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh, as we'll find out very soon, is a powerful day. First of all, let's define Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh, as was just defined uh, in the first paragraph, literally means head of the month. And it refers to the first day of the Jewish month. The first day of the Jewish month is Rosh Chodesh. Now, Rosh Chodesh is known as a mini-holiday. Now, it's a a mini-Jewish holiday. So what do you do on the holiday? Does anybody know? Huh? Well, you always, you always eat. Does anybody know any specific Rosh Chodesh uh, customs? Well, you're supposed to gather as women on Rosh Chodesh. Women are supposed to get together. Good, and, good. Um, prayer. There's discussion and, and no prayer work. and I'm not sure what else. Like standing outside. Work. No work. So there's a tradition that women don't work on Rosh Chodesh. Or, or minimize the work that they do do. Or certain works they don't do. And it's kind of a custom type thing. It's not like a biblical law. But it's... We'll see the origin very soon. The ho- Rosh Chodesh is a holiday that was given to women. That's why there are Rosh Chodesh groups that get together, women's groups that get together on Rosh Chodesh. And I think maybe a good uh, practical resolution that will come from all, from this sooner than later will be a Rosh Chodesh group in our community. Um, Leah has already expressed interest in uh, getting on board, with, on board with that. So there's a custom to gather and a custom to minimize work or certain types of work uh, on Rosh Chodesh, specifically for women. But what we're trying to do is understand the general concept of what Rosh Chodesh is, the first day of the month. Now, we don't have a parallel uh, to this in the English calendar. It's not like um, April 1st is... It, well, actually it is, right? April Fool's Day? Yeah. yeah, but that's kind of like a prank. That's not really a holy experience. Although maybe it could be, but um, it's a really good practical joke. Then you have, right, so uh, January 1st. Not a big deal. No. So you're right, February 1st, March 1st, May, June, July. There's nothing special about the first of the month. Maybe if you get paid on the first of the month, so it's a special day. But otherwise, nothing else going on. In Judaism... It's a different concept. As I explained on Rosh Hashanah, the, the learner service, Rosh Hashanah, and, and we'll see in the second paragraph, he draws the same parallel. Rosh Hashanah is not just the first day of the year. It's the head of the year. And the head of the year means something completely different than beginning of the year. 
something completely different. Because a head contains the energy of the rest of the body. That's what we're about to get into. The idea of the relationship between head and body is different than the relationship between first and second. Right? You stand in a line. You tell your class, you're teaching kids, you say, okay, everyone line up, we're going to go outside for recess. What's the relationship between the first one in the line and the second one in the line? Or between the first one in the line and the fourth one in the line? What's the, let's break down, the, what's the relationship between them? Leader. Lead, but is the first one really a leader? The teacher is the leader. The first one is the first. So, okay, I understand what you're saying. I was a leader in the sense of the first of the students to go out. But what's, what's the relationship? The kids are not necessarily going to look to the first one. They may look to the teacher. What's the relationship between them? It's really space. I would say it's, um, it's almost... What's the word I'm looking for? It's almost circumstantial. Right? It's so, Huh? There's an order there, but it's almost like it's a circumstantial order. It happens to be that's first, right? Someone lined up. And that's why a teacher will say, well, today, you, yes, sir, you went first, or today, you go first. It's not like there's anything. Fill in the blank. It could, could be any of them. And there's no intrinsic value in the first vis-a-vis the other ones. It's not like the other ones are subservient to the first. It's not. It's random. When you talk about a head, the relationship, so that's, the relationship of one to two to three to four to five. The relationship of head to body is very different. The head is not just the top of the body. It's not just, oh, you happen to be, you had, right, the foot says, you had, happened to be at the top of this thing called body. But really, pff, you're just one of us. Now, the foot might say that. All, the same, all at the same time saying, oh, I wish it was the head. Foot again. In this incarnation. Right? The foot... That's another story. December 3rd, right here at Cafe Chabad. Soon to be announced. We'll, we'll get you the full slate of, of stuff. Life after life. Okay, anyway. Let's, let's focus here. So, the relationship between head and body is very different than the relationship between first and second, first and third, first and fourth. It's, it's completely different. What is the relationship between head and body? The head is not just the top of the body. It's not just the first thing you see when, you know, looking over a fence. Oh, there's a head appearing. It's not... Right, you look through the, through the hole in the door and you say, Oh, there's a head here. Oh, oh, there's probably somebody attached to it. It's not... That's not the only... Right? That's... Huh? You hope, right? That's, that's, not, the re, that's not the relationship. The relationship of the head to the body is that the head contains the energy of the whole body. It's almost like, not almost like, Kabbalah teaches. And this reflects also in biology. That the energy, the soul energy, the vitality, the life force, the light, the chayos, the energy of the body is found in the head. The source of the energy, it's almost like if you're heat mapping, soul mapping the body, right? You know those heat maps, you see, really red and whatever, right? So if you're heat mapping a person Kabbalistically... The light is in the head. That's where the soul is. And from there, it's almost like, let's now switch from heat map to flight map. You know what I'm talking about. We see Atlanta has all those spider webs coming out of it. From the head, you now have drawn lines to the rest of the body. Right? From the head. The head is the epicenter. The head is the source. 
And there you have a line here to the arm line, here to the hand line, here to the elbow, here, here to the torso, here to the leg, here to the foot, here to the lines. But where is, where is the energy found? It's found here. The head contains the klolos dike. This is the Yiddish and Hebrew expression. The klolos dike, the general energy of soul energy, life and vitality of the body is in the head. And from the head, it branches out. The example I'll give is like this. Our HVAC system. So today, we walked in, a few minutes to nine, and it was cold. How cold, you might ask? 60 degrees in here. So hopefully we're up. Where are we up to now? Is it eight? <laughs> it feels like it, right? What do we have to do in there? 69. Okay, good. A, comf- a comfy 69, right? Okay, good. How do we get nine degrees higher? How do we get there? Think about it. How do- okay, well, it's okay. There's an app for that. What, but how, did, how does it happen? How does it happen? What, what had to happen? Turn on the Well, but let's figure this out. How hot did it have to get in its source? Think about that. Much more. Much more than 69. In order to keep a house in the frigid wind, forget here. We have a teacher from out of town this year, Mushki. Have you met her? Mushki? She's great. She's from Montreal. Okay, in Montreal, I've been in Montreal in the winter. Has anybody been in Montreal in the winter? No. Don't be bashful. I'm the. Thank you. Or anywhere in Canada or the frigid north. You go to Montreal, and it could be minus 40. Now, they use, of course, Celsius. But you know what minus 40 Celsius is in Fahrenheit? Minus 40. That's where it crosses over, actually. Minus 40 is minus 40. Now, minus 40, you have to understand, minus 40 is, when you're walking out there in the winter like this, and you don't have, because you're, you're from the south, or you're from even Pittsburgh, and you're, I don't need earmuffs. Earmuffs? Now, come on. That's a fashion statement I just don't want to be making. <laughs> As a rabbi, I mean, come, see, certain certain standard of fashion you have to. Right. Anyway, so, no, well, or yes, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so, no earmuffs. So what happens? Minus forty, you walk out there. At a certain point, you completely lose all sensation in the ears. Mushki tells me her grandfather passed away a few years ago. Her grandfather said he just lost all feeling in his like it wasn't it wasn't even that it burned and then it thawed and then it hurt and then it, it just there was nothing. <laughs> anyway, the point is it's almost like someone throws a snowball errantly and hits the wrong thing. Oh, whoops, what happened? It just that's how cold it gets. It gets feels like it's frozen. What's my point? You want to keep a house in Montreal when it's minus forty at a comfortable sixty nine degrees, seventy two degrees, whatever. How's that going to happen? Do you know how hot, how hot the furnace has to be, or whatever it is that's pumping, that's furnace, whatever, that's that's creating the heat? Hundreds and hundreds of degrees, in order for the house to be at a comfortable level. Kabbalah teaches that the power of the soul, the power of the neshama, in its place, in its epicenter in the body, which is the head, that's where it is at its strongest. From there, it's branched off into the rest of the body, which means that there's more soul energy, there's more soul force in the head than there is in the heel. And it's reflected with sensitivity. 
the head, it's reflected also biologically with sensitivity. The head is more sensitive to stimuli. The head is more sensitive to everything around us. Yeah? There's a hot bath. And you want to test if you can go in there. What do you put in first? Your foot. Your heel. Why? It's the least. It's the least. Why? Ah, this is where Kabbalah comes in. Because, again, as I said before, you can look at the, how it plays out, but you want to go to the source. Why? Because it's the furthest away from your soul. It's physically the furthest away from the soul. So the heel, which is the furthest away from the soul, which is in the head, right? The, soul's, the, source of the, the epicenter of the soul is in the head. The furthest point from that, which is the heel, is the least physically sensitive. The first one that you'll sacrifice into that hot bath. Say, here, let's try it out. Hey, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not. Ah, well, it's only the heel. Okay. Rosh, the relationship between head and body is not just first and second, because first and second, when kids line up, is random, and it doesn't mean much. Yeah, you'll walk out of the room first, but really, what does it mean? Not much. Head, vis-a-vis -vis body, means a lot. It means the difference between where it's coming from, between who's giving and who's taking. The head is giving the energy, or the head has the energy, and is emanating the energy. The rest of the body is receiving, channeling and receiving the energy. That's why the body has to be a good rec uh, receiver, recipient, for the energy. It's like football. Right? You've got to be open to catch a pass. So we have to take care of our bodies to make sure that the body is healthy to be able to channel the energy. Because the, the soul's energy needs a healthy place to go. That's why it's a mitzvah in Jewish law to take care of the body. Yeah. Are you talking about head or mind or brain or head? Head. The main place of the... It's the moach, actually. It is the brain. It is the brain. Consciousness. Not that consciousness is the soul. The soul is the soul. The soul is spiritual. Consciousness is something physical. It's the highest form of our experience. It's the most ethereal, but it's still a physical thing. The soul is found, the seat of the soul, the mishkan, hanefesh, hanashama, the, the seat, the, the sanctuary, the place where, it's, where it resides primarily is in the mind, is in the consciousness. And it's also reflected, though, in, 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 in the way a human being works. The, the mind controls the body. You want to walk somewhere, it started, you made a decision here. Pain, right? To feel pain, it's got it's to happen here. Right? You put your hand, you touch a pot that's on the fire. You touch the pot, boom, now you're feeling pain. That didn't happen here. Didn't happen here. It started here, happened here. That's where everything happens. Everything takes place right here. Everything takes place right here. Oh, so the heart, the heart is definitely important. The heart, though, in Kabbalah, is the source, is the seat, that's the source, is the seat, the epicenter of the other soul. The natural soul. The animal soul. The vital soul. But this is a discussion that's going to take us off. Uh, after. When we speak about soul now, we're speaking about the divine soul. There's another soul that is found, though, in the heart. So yeah, the heart is, is also a very, inst the instinct, that's all, a lot of that is heart. When your mind doesn't have a chance to think, right? Your mind doesn't even have a chance to think. You respond instinctually, you get hurt, 
you feel a surge of love, you feel it in the heart, that's a different, uh, that's almost from a different soul and a different reality, different personality. But that's, that's another discussion. But here we're talking about general vitality in life. Based in the head, the, moves to the rest of the body. Relationship then, again, this is the critical point. The relationship between head and body is one in which the body looks toward the head. As this plays out in time, Kabbalah says there are three parallel universes. And I use the word universe loosely because you'll see one of them is universe. doesn't make any sense yet until I explain. Olam, Shana, Nefesh. Three parallel realities. Olam means world, Shana means year, and Nefesh means soul. To use it in more, to, 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 re, to say it in more understandable language, time, space, time, and spirit. These are three parallel, uh, uh, mystical parallels uh, Kabbalah speaks of. Again, Olam means world, universe, space, space. Shana year is time, time. Nefesh, soul, is spirit. Space, time, and spirit. What's true in one reality is true in the other realities. Space, time, and spirit. These are three parallels. There are many examples of things that run all the way through. For example, this is going to be a perfect example. On Yom Kippur, we have a convergence of the three. What was the, what's the highlight of Yom Kippur, or, or back in the times of the Temple? Let's be specific. What was the highlight of Yom Kippur? <coughs> the high priest going into the um, Holy of Holies. The high priest, once a year, going to the Holy of Holies. Here you have a convergence of these three realities. Olam, in space, you have the holiest space on earth, the Holy of Holies. Shana, in time, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. And Nefesh, the holiest spirit on earth, the spirit, the soul of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. You have a convergence of the holiest person in the holiest space at the holiest time. Yom Kippur has the convergence of the holiest of all three. And even today we also have that convergence as well. On a, for us, we have the depths of our soul that comes out on that day. Almost like the Kohen Gadol within us is, uh, is accessible on that day. On Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day, so spirit... Time, it's, it is Yom Kippur, and space. We, got, we get together in a synagogue, which is the, a mini temple in our times. Okay. So what's true in spirit, nefesh, what's true for the soul is also true in time. See where I'm going with this? What's true in spirit with a person, that our soul is found in the head, that there is something called head. And there is something called body. And there's a relation between head and body. And the relation between head and body is not just first and second, or for the heels, like first and like 500th. It's a relation between source, life itself, vitality, energy, and that which is deriving that life and vitality and, 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 and sustenance. Just as that's true within the body, within the nef- with regard to the soul, within nefesh, it's also true in shana, in, 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 in the year, in time. You have something called Rosh Chodesh. You have something called Rosh Hashanah. Let's talk about Rosh Hashanah first. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the year. So I could say, you know what the relation between Rosh Hashanah is and the next day? It's the first or the second. So what's the significance? Not much. Happens to be the first day. And like, when, you have it, when you get the new Jewish calendar, right, and you open it up like this... The first day, well, that's actually, we 
kind of use the English that doesn't work. But if you had a, a real, you know, Jewish calendar, when I, I don't mean real, but with the days, the one, not the one as the September one, but the one as Tishrei one, and then if you had that, so I would say, what's Rosh Hashanah? The number one. And what's the, the second day? Number two and three, four, five. Okay, so what's the significance? I don't know. It happens to be the first day. Rosh Hashanah, it's not called Tchilat Hashanah, as I said on Rosh Hashanah. It's not called the beginning of the year or the first day of the year. It's called the head of the year. The head of the year means that the relationship between this day, Rosh Hashanah, and the rest of the days of the year is a relationship between source and what's derived from source. In other words, the totality of the energy is found on Rosh Hashanah, and from there, it, it, there are lines that draw the energy into the rest of the year. As I explained on Rosh Hashanah, the energy for the entire year is compressed. It's almost like if you imagine time as stretching out. So imagine, I want you to imagine like this. You know those clowns? Let's go into a silly place. Clowns, right? They do a trick, they pull out the... You have to have the visual here, right? They pull out, what is it? Handkerchief or like a piece of paper. They pull out something that keeps on going, right? Okay, good. Imagine that time does the same thing. Right? Imagine that time does the same thing. Time, as time moves on from, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, time keeps on extending. Your days are extending. Not from anybody's mouth, but it just, right? it just time stretches forward. It, it, it keeps on moving, right? We start, the year starts here. Right? Let's say we, draw, we take our, our, a knife, cut time, year starts here, and from here is now extending time. Another day, another day, another day, and time stretches. And the further you go, the further you are from the source. Mazel tov, fantastic. But imagine when you get to the end of the year, so you had the beginning of the year, and now you have 365 days extended from there. Take all of that and start folding it back. Start accordioning it. Folding it back, folding it back, folding it back, folding it back, until you get back to where it started. And now you take all of that and you compress it into that original space, and that's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah has all, all of the time of the whole year, all of the days, all of the segments, all of the occurrences of the entire year, and it's compressed into that time. So that when it extends, it's extending from somewhere. It's not just magically appearing out of nowhere. Because here's the, here's the trick with the clown. It's actually all in there. It's not magic. Yeah, sorry. I'm that guy. That guy that had the show, remember? Yeah, like that. Death threats. Yeah. That guy, yeah, Heverman, as they say in Yiddish. He had uh, two, what? And there's no tooth What? Well, Nassim lost the tooth yesterday in Shul. Yeah. Yeah, he got a little too rowdy. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, he tripped on a slide outside. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, no. It was, no, it was loose. No, it didn't cause any... It was, trust me, it was meant to be. He has other tooth that are very well, ready to... He came in to show that. Unless the tooth is very proud. Actually, still have it here. Anyway, so what's the point? The point is that time extends from a place. And where it extends from is actually where the totality of that energy is found. In other words, the energy in Zman... Again, we were speaking about Nefesh before, soul, spirit, within the body. But in Zman, in time, Shana... In time, year, the energy of the year, of the rest of the year, is actually found compressed in Rosh Hashanah, and from there it extends. That's why I said on Rosh Hashanah, the, the changes that we make on Rosh Hashanah aren't just, it's a good start to the year, it imprints the rest of the year. It's almost like the pin test. You ever heard of the pin test? 
The pin test? The pin? No one's heard of the pin test? P-I-N? P-I-N. Not the pin number. Those will get soon. A pin test. No, 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 no. For the Talmud. No, no, the Talmud, Talmud pin test. I need a copy of the Talmud. Yeah, yeah. You know, can you pass the um, uh, under on the bottom right, the brown, the light, the brown books are volumes of the Talmud. All right. Yeah. Just uh, any random one will work. Please pass down. That's exactly what it is. Yes. All right. Here's oh Shabbos. That's a great tractate. Okay. Here's here's the Talmud. Okay. Let me show you what the Talmud. Uh, maybe I'll just stand. Okay. The Talmud looks like this. What you have here is a box of text in the middle. That's the Talmud. Or the Mishnah Talmud. That's the main text. Over here you have Rashi. You know Rashi's commentary, right? On Torah and Talmud. Wherever, wherever you get some good Jewish text, you got Rashi. So here's Rashi. This is Tosvot on the outside margin. Every page has an inside and out. Inside is always Rashi. Outside is Tosvot. It's a collection of commentaries from Rashi's grandsons. Who many times argued, differed, disagreed with Rashi himself. Even with regards to the Tefillin. By the way, it's another story. Okay, I'm not going to get off on track on that. There's other stuff as well. So the pin test is like this. Close the book. Or whatever. Close it somewhere. You take a pin. I guess you have to heat up the pin or something. You take a pin, and you stick it into the book. Okay? Stick it into the copy of the Talmud. And then, you open up to the first page, and you see where it hit. And then, you can recite... If you know the Talmud by heart and you have a photographic memory to memorize where each letter and each word is on every page, you can then continue and proceed to tell every letter and of every word that it goes through. Now, I can't do this. In case, in case you were expecting a demonstration, I will tell you. That's it. What is this stuff? Who is this hack? Right. Okay. There. <laughs> oh, this comes off. Ow. No. <laughs> so, so, the, I, I know I, I didn't know him, but I know of someone actually from Montreal who was able to Rabbi Greenglass. He was renowned to to do to be able to do this. Now, of course, if you're able to do this, it's not it's not like a bar trick. You're not going around like, hey, can I get your drink? Hey, hey check out this Tamil that I've got. <laughs> Just put it in wherever you want. It's I'm not gonna look. It's it's not right. It's but it's what's the point? That's the big question. <laughs> what, where, where were we right before the pin test? Huh? Yeah. That Right. Oh, and what you do? Huh? And what you do on Rosh Hashanah? The imprint that you make on Rosh Hashanah has an impact on the rest of the year. It's almost like that pin that you drive through, and it doesn't only affect that top, that top word or whatever, but it drives through all of the pages that are back-to-back on it. What we do in Rosh Hashanah drives through and imprints all of the rest of the days of the year. Not because, it's, not because well, I started off on the right track, so hopefully I'll continue. No, no, no. Because when you did something on Rosh Hashanah, it impacted the day that will unfold from that day because that energy was right there. You actually mark that energy that will subsequently unfold. Okay. The point is, the point of all of this is, the relationship between head and body is not, is not the relationship between one and two. 
or 1 and 15, or 1 and 300. The relationship between head and body is the relationship between source, or general life and vitality, and that which unfolds from that and gets its energy from that. That's what all of this is what Joanne read in that first paragraph, right? Right? Oh, now wait. Now we're going to get this. Oh, this is going to be the big question. That's going to be exactly the question. Oh, but hold on. But before we get there, <laughs> by the way, I just just to chart out what's going on here. I re- probably should have said this at the beginning. I I I'm kind of mapped this out of my head. I expect this to take about twenty sessions, which is actually relatively short. Although if we do one paragraph a week, it may take a little longer. <laughs> I may be over. I may be over. Okay, I, I expect this to be. I, this this. I have a my kind of evaluation is about six months, which is not the last text we spent about a year. The one before about two years. They were longer texts. So this one. So if you're feeling, you know, not feeling. If you're. Um, uh, trying to anticipate what is the extent of this. This is just an FYI. It should be about six months. Uh, most weeks we meet. Uh, on rare occasions we don't. If I'm out of town or whatever. Okay, that's just kind of a general point. Let's get back to Rosh Chodesh. It's a word from our sponsors. Rosh Chodesh. <laughs> just as it's true by Rosh, Chodesh, by Rosh Hashanah, the same thing is true with Rosh Chodesh. So, um, Joanne, please read this in the next paragraph. Similarly. Similarly, just as Rosh Hashanah contains the overall vitality for the entire coming year, Rosh Hodesh contains the overall vitality for the ensuing month, encompassing the vitality of the next 30 days. Now, let's stop here for a second. You see what he says? He's drawing the parallel between Rosh Hashanah, which he doesn't explain here, by the way, which I just explained, and Rosh Hodesh. Okay? Just like Rosh Hashanah. The vitality for the entire coming year is found in Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah contains that vitality. Not in potential, but in actual. The actual vitality for the rest of the year, for the coming year, is found within the energy of those 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah. That's the reality. That's that's where the energy is. And then it unfolds, just like, for example... The energy, let's get back to Nefesh, right? We're going to be drawing, we're going to be moving between these realities. Olam, Shana, Nefesh. So first of all, in space, we haven't talked about space. It's not focusing on space, so let's forget about space for a second. Space would be that Jerusalem is the epicenter of the world and the energy. That's why it's the holiest place, which obviously is the holiest place. That's why everyone's fighting about it. So the holiest place, right, is where is from the energy of, of Israel is where the energy to the rest of the world goes through. That's the portal for it. But anyway... That, that's not, he doesn't talk about that. Here, Rosh, the point is, the head contains not only the potential energy for the rest of the body, the actual vitality of the rest of the body is in the head. The hand, the energy of the hand to move, of course there's an energy in the hand, but that comes from the head. The nerves, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert in biology, science, etc., but the point is, the energy of the body is actually found in the head. The head contains the general energy, and also the energy that's going to be drawn to each individual limb. So he says that that's true with Rosh Hashanah, and that's true with Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh contains the vitality of that month. So Rosh Chodesh is not an insignificant day. It's not that Rosh Chodesh... Rosh Chodesh Tishrei is obviously Rosh Hashanah, so that's not only Rosh Chodesh, but Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, the second month of the year, with the eighth month, depending on how you count. But the second of the calendar year, 
Which, by the way, this discourse, look at the date on this discourse. At the top, in the italicized. Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh, Marcheshron, Noach. It was said, it was first delivered on Shabbat, the first day of the month of Cheshron, Mar Cheshron. The month is called Cheshron. It's called Mar Cheshron. You know what Mar means? Bitter. Bitter. Why is it bitter? Why is the month of Cheshron called bitter? No, it was of. We call of Menachem of, which means it should be a comfort. We go the other way on that. Why Mar Cheshvan? Because number one, it gets cold. Really. I mean, not everywhere. I mean, in South Africa, they're like, this is great. It's Cheshvan. It's time to like start. Right. Florida, it's always good. Um, but in Israel, where of course Jewish life is centered, even when we're not in Israel, so it gets, starts getting cold. But more importantly, it has no holidays. Hadron is a month that not, has not one holiday. It's, I think, the only month in the Jewish calendar where there's not one special day. Nothing. Now, you could say cynically, yeah, because we use them all up in Tishrei. Shana, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas Torah, it doesn't stop. It's one non-stop party. That might be true. But as I explained uh, Friday, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, during the Musa prayers, it's kind of like a relationship. There's like the big party and celebration... And then there's the after, when the music stops, the band stops playing, all the guests go home, and now it's, now it's reality. And now you've got to work on actually living together and coexisting in a good way. You know, not, not only coexisting, but really working without the fanfare. That's what the month of Hezron is. There are no holidays. There's no partying. Now you've got to work on, now you've got to work in the relationship, ground up. Alright, so... Okay, so... What's the point? So Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, for example. It's not just the first day of the month of Mar Cheshvan. It contains the energy and vitality. It's the soul within time. Let's, let's use this let's mix metaphors. It's the neshama, it's the soul of the entire month. That's why Rosh Chodesh is not an insignificant day. It's a day in which we recite Hallel. Know what Hallel is? Hallel is the section from Psalms that's songs of praise. We sing Hallel on, on, on Rosh Chodesh. We started recently, a few months ago, a Rosh Chodesh morning service. Every Rosh Chodesh, whether it's a Sunday, whether it's the middle of the week, we gather here to pray. And then we have some bagels, locks, and, uh, and some coffee as well. So it's, uh, it's a party. But the point is that Rosh Chodesh is a holiday. It's a special day because it contains the energy for the entire month you'll see how this leads to a very important question in a moment. All right? Uh, please read the next sentence. Uh, this entire concept needs to be better understood. So... <laughs> as much as we've explained until now, what does it really mean that there's, a, that there's an energy for the month? An energy for the year I kind of get, but what does it mean that every month there's an energy? What does that mean that there's an energy to the month as distinct from the year? What's the difference between year and what's the difference between, between month? Does anybody want to offer any, any ideas about the distinction? Good. This is especially with the Jewish calendar. If I ask you a simple question, does the Jewish calendar base itself off of the moon or the sun? What would you answer? The answer is both. It's a trick question. I like trick questions. The answer is both. The answer is both. Now, how do you get both? This is going to be a little bit of, a, of an off-topic. It's going to get back on topic. And, by the way, toward the end, 
we're going to get heavy back into this idea. So I'm just going to plant the seeds to understand um, all of this. So six months down the line, you say, I remember that first Sunday. Okay. The Jewish count, the months are determined by the moon. The year is determined by the sun and the moon. How many days are in the uh, lunar calendar? How many days? Sorry. Yeah, okay, we can do this. Uh, what, what does it mean that it goes by the moon? What's the moon? What does that mean? The, what's the difference between the sun and the moon with regards to the cycles? The, sun, the solar cycle is 365 and a quarter. That's the solar cycle. What's the lunar cycle? 28 days. 28 and a little bit of days. Right? 28, 29 days. One is year and one is month. Typically, civilizations have chosen either or. Either the, the sun, and we're going to disregard the moon. Which means, and this is the way the Gregorian calendar that we use, right? this regular English calendar that we use, this is where it goes. Where we go by the solar calendar, right? The solar cycle. And then the first of every month has nothing to do with the moon, Right? The moon cycle, it's irrelevant. We just took 365 days and divided it by 12. Why 12, by the way? Why do we choose 12? Ah, that is an influence of the moon, huh? 12 houses of the Soviet Union. Well, it's, okay, but it's also related to the moon. Because when you talk about the moon, the moon cycle is 28 and a half days or so. And so there are about 12 moon cycles in a solar year as well. But other civilizations just chose the moon. And so your year gets bumped up. Why? Because how many... If you do the math and do 28 and a half times 12, you get about 354 days in the lunar year. If you do 12 months of the lunar calendar, you get 354 days. Which means that let's say... Let's just make it very simple. Let's say you're lunar. Let's say this year, we're going lunar. Yeah, some people go organic. Some people go vegetarian. This year, I'm going lunar. All right, that's it. That's that's my news. I'm going lunar, baby. All right, just join my movement. It's all lunar. It's all lunar to me. Now, January first, you're going lunar. It's your New Year's resolution. Secular New Year's. We got it. Okay, I'm just making it easy. January first, your lunar year, for a limited time, is going to end when? 354 days later, which is when? Is very important. It's very important. It's, 12, it's 11 days less than the solar calendar, which means your year is going to end when? December, December 20th, 19th. Then you start your year again. Now, when's your year going to end? Next year, December 10th. And then the year, next year it's going to end December 1st. And then the next year, or the next year it's going to begin November 20th, November 10th. November, see what happened here? What happened here was your year is going to start on different days because you're, you're, you're lunar. If you only go solar, your months are skewed. What do you do? So you choose either or. Right? That's the way the world works. Judaism says, uh-uh. There's value in moon, there's value in sun. We're going to explain what this means. By the way, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. Sun is masculine energy, and moon is feminine energy. And so Judaism says, see, again, and this, I just got tingles. I don't know if you got that. That was just me, maybe. But this, again, reflects the general notion of society. Which one is better? Which one is worse? Which one is dominant? Which one... She says, wait a second. You don't have to... One doesn't have to be better. It doesn't have to be dominant. There's masculine and feminine, and both are necessary and vital ingredients to, to reality. 
And so the calendar, Zman, reflects Nefesh, the spirit of these energies. So time in Judaism is, de- is designed to follow both the lunar calendar, that's the months, and the solar calendar of the year. How does the, solar, how does the year follow the solar calendar? This is the beauty of the Ibriar, the leap year. This is where the leap year comes in. Let me explain. The calendar, the Jewish calendar, is according to the moon. Is, and we're going to understand why, by the way. That the, the months go, this, this is actually the question. Why do the months go according to the moon? In other words, the question of why is Rosh Chodesh, why does that contain the energies, what is the power of the moon, of the new moon? That's really the question. It needs to be better understood. The, year, the months go according to the lunar calendar. But what happens in the lunar calendar, as I just explained, is that your year is going to get shorter and shorter. In other words, it's going to start moving. So let's, let's make it... I should have actually used this example because I don't have to do it again, but with September 1st. Let's say Rosh Hashanah, September 1st. Make it very easy. September 1st is Rosh Hashanah. Jewish New Year, boom, your calendar begins September 1st. Okay. You're, you're all lunar again, boom. The next year, your year is going to begin August 20th. The next year is going to begin August 19th. You know what happens? All of the holidays are moving up. Right, your Rosh Hashanah eventually is going to be in middle of June, and you know when your Passover is going to be? Also a few months early. It's going to be middle of the winter, right? Or eventually your Rosh Hashanah is going to be January, and your Yom, and your Pesach is going to, which is six months later. Rosh Hashanah and Passover, Sukkot and Passover are halfway points. So your Passover is going to be in middle of June. Right? And Passover is the middle of the summer. It's going to, and, and the Torah says, Passover has to be in the springtime. Chodesh HaAviv. Chag HaAviv. It's the festival of spring. Right? Virginia Highlands, we have a spring fest. It's always it's a summer fest. But right, there's spring festivals around. Right? right? So Passover is our national spring festival. Spring cleaning, spring festival. Matzah. Matzah party. Right? Come meet me at my house for the Seder type thing. So Judaism says the calendar also needs to be reconciled according to the solar calendar. So we have the best of both worlds. We have the lunar and the solar. Masculine family, yeah. So what, what comes to mind is that if Rosh Hashanah contains the energy of the entire year, yep. every month um, you have a chance, it sort of breaks it into a, a smaller subtext. Exactly. Right. Very good. Very good. Exactly. So you have, right, you have on a general year level, you have Rosh Hashanah. You have on a month level, Rosh Chodesh. You have on a weekly level, Shabbat. It's a chance to renew and a chance to once again get the general energy for, which is why Shabbat is such a powerful day. Minei Mispar says the Zohar. I'm waxing uh, Aramaic and Zoharic now. Minei Misparachin Kuleyoimin. Minei from it, Misparachin, is blessed. Kule all Yomin, all days. From Shabbat is blessed. And there's the energy of the rest of the week, the subsequent days, emanates from Shabbat. It's contained in that energy. Shabbat is also blessed from the previous week. Shabbat is the interface, kind of between. You lead up into it, but then it's, it's energy leads into the moving forward. Yeah. But I think I lost how you make up the 10 days. <coughs> we have a leap year. Every few years, every th- about three years, you add an extra month, an entire month, mm-hmm. in the Jewish calendar. And what's that called? It's called Second Adar. Right before Passover, we add in an extra month, so there's Adar 1 and Adar 2. By the way, this text also is heavy on 
Astrology. Yeah. Cool. Yes. This is heavy on astrology. We're going to talk about Taurus and Aries and Virgo. It's going to be very interesting. It's part of part of the uh, part of the fun. Yeah. What Joris kind of brought up, kind of answered the question I had had for you. If we weren't enlightened on Rosh Hashanah and our days didn't go the way we would have liked, now that I'm enlightened listening to you, do we get the chance, you say it imprints the whole year and the accordion backing it all up. Right. Because of Rosh Hodesh and Shabbat, Yes. We get to make of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> it's called in, in, in Kabbalah. In Ka- there's a Kabbalistic term for it. It's called the Mulligan. <laughs> anyway, right? Uh, so yeah, you. There's now. Here's the deal. Here's the dealio. The, the the essence. This really gets to the convergence of time and soul, time and spirit, where you have. Um, you see, the power of teshuva, the power of, of, of a soul yearning to have a connection, is really not limited in any time. Which means that you can create a personal Rosh Hashanah whenever the mood strikes, type thing. As long as you're in that space. So Rosh Hashanah is the ideal time on a time level, but on a spirit level, you can create that space wherever you can find it. And I mean, the sooner the better. But yeah, on, 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 a, on another time level, you have another chance for Rosh Hashanah. My point is, you don't have to wait till Cheshron, right. the next month, to tap into it. Or Shabbos, you can do it today. You can, at any moment, you can always access that. Tshuva is, that's why Tshuva can fix what's in the past. Tshuva is time, the power of Tshuva, return, repentance, whatever, is ta- it's, it's beyond the constraints of time. It's beyond time. It's interesting to me because so much of Right. Now here's the deal. So the whole guilt thing is a distortion of a Jew, of a very Jewish concept. The very Jewish concept is that the whole world is the whole world is created for your sake. Everyone has to say, the whole world is created for me, for me to do something positive right now at this moment. The the but every positive teaching also has a devious or has a a way that it can be um, so what I'm looking for distorted a distortion to it the distortion is the guilt the negative feelings or the arrogance to go either way either up or down the distortion could be either arrogance and you know, I can destroy wantonly and, and manipulate and whatever and the the negative way is you know too harsh on myself whatever but but yeah it's no guilt. It's a guilt-free zone. It's like we have guilt with a circle on one of those psh, those things, right? Things to it. Is that the second of the dark? Yes. In, in every three years you have a... Three years or so. Right. Yeah. It's not I think it's the cycle of seven years... I think it's actually like an 18 or 19 year... Or 17, either 17 or 19 year cycle and it's like a certain amount of leap years per that cycle. So it's not every three years. It's like, you know, five out of... four out of nine... something like that. Yeah. There are holidays within a dar. Right? Yeah, we always do it in the second. You, you, you skip them in the first. Yeah, well, we ha- call it Purim Katan, which means a mini Purim. Like the fir- like Purim, Purim is the major holiday in, in the month of Adar, which is on the 14th of Adar. So when you have two of them, you'll celebrate Purim full on. The second Adar, Adar 2, the adventure continues. In Adar 1, 
right? In the first one, you it's the Purim Katan, which means you don't really do much. You have like a festive meal. It's like a, it's like a you drink a little bit. Is that a little l'chaim. That's the, yeah. Now, here's the other question. If you have a birthday, what do you do? If you have a yard site, right? So you have a yard site uh, on that day. So you go, I think, I think birthdays, you do this. I don't know. I forgot already. i got to look it up. It's one of them, I think birthdays and yard sites, either, you, something tells me you do one, one, and one, the other, which kind of is interesting. Or maybe you do both. I don't know. Anyway, I have to look it up with regard to that, yeah. I may have missed this, but um, did we talk about why Rosh is, is focused on the feminine energy? Oh, no, no, no. That's the next paragraph. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Continue. Continue. We're actually going to read one more paragraph, and then we'll, uh, I think we'll kind of break. In addition, we need to understand why Rosh Hodesh is considered a special holiday for women who observe it more carefully than do men. And you see with the footnotes, there's lots of different uh, uh, sources, so if you want to look them up, go right ahead. Um, the point is that Rosh Hodesh, as I mentioned before, is a special holiday for women, and uh, women have traditionally observed it more carefully than men. In other words, men don't really have too much observances on Rosh Hodesh. Women get together, women uh, have groups, women uh, refrain from certain labors or cut down in general on work. They observe it as a special day. Men, of course, there are special prayers that are in the liturgy that are for both men and women, and it's a day of Hallel, and you don't say Tachlin, you don't say the, the, uh, the, um, the confessional prayers and the, the regular confessional prayers during the prayers. It's, of course, it's a special day for everybody, but there are special observances... Are, are found for the women over and above the men. The question is, why? In other words, what he's really getting at here in this discourse is a very simple point. When you understand the energy of Rosh Chodesh, all of these questions will be answered. In other words, when you understand what Rosh Chodesh really is, then you'll understand why it's the Rosh, why it's connected to women, why it's connected with the moon. In other words, everything will make sense once we have this answer. So that's going to be the central focus. So this week, we've introduced, this is what we've done today. This is what we've done today. We've introduced the concept of masculine and feminine energies, presented the overarching objective of this course, which is to go straight to the source to understand, specifically in our discussions, we're also going to get into the masculine energy, but this, this focus, this, this text focus, actually, um, you know what? It also focuses uh, on the masculine, but the the liability of the masculine energy. Again, I said the guys don't get offended. There's also virtues, but this is going to be, the, we're, we're saying the virtue of the feminine energy. So we, we discussed uh, the overarching objective of getting to understand what is the essence of the feminine energy, which will help us understand how everything else plays out. Once you understand cause, you can better understand and relate to the effect. If you know where it's coming from, you know what, you make, can make sense of what you see on the ground. Um, it helps relationships, helps in understanding um, ourselves and each other, understanding the roles that Judaism has, the various mitzvot, like Rosh Chodesh, the specific for women, vis-a-vis those that are specific for men. So that's, uh, that's that. We also got into the concept of, just doing a review, of head versus body, as opposed to first versus second, that there's a significance of head uh, vis-a-vis body, as opposed to just numbers of first and second and third. We explain the value of Rosh Hashanah, the value of Rosh Chodesh. We ask questions about 
for, we need to further understand Rosh Chodesh, and we need to understand this, the connection between Rosh Chodesh and women, and of course the lunar calendar, how all that plays in. That's what we did today. Does that make sense? Good. What I want to do is give some homework. The homework is, because this is going to be very important. I spoke at the beginning about cause and effect. And how understanding the soul of the feminine... In other words, where the feminine energy comes from on high will help us understand how things play out here. What I want you to do, each of you independently, or you can work at it as groups if you want to, create whatever is groups off of this. I want you to come up with your own categorizations of feminine versus masculine in three areas. Okay? This is important. In three areas. Thought, speech, and action. Give me, and you can either be specific or general. I'm not going to get so specific or so, you know, um, uh, you know, heavy with the instructions of how exactly to do it. I want you to do it in a way that makes sense to you. I want you to start creating for yourself, and maybe we should put it into some sort of spreadsheet and get like a master list of, that we can all ag- agree to, of understanding differences, and again, not necessarily between men and women, but between masculine and feminine energies. And again, both men and women have both. The point is going to be to understand the different nuances of the energies. But again, I want to, to, to have it focused. Think of thoughts that could either be, uh, well, that's kind of like a masculine thought or that's a feminine thought. Speech, communication, action, things that you're doing. More masculine, more feminine. Let's see if we can start, start to create you know, uh, uh, ways of, of, of distinguishing for, this, for the purpose of, what's the purpose? Of ultimately, once we get, once we start getting to the source of the spirit, of, of the sources of the masculine and feminine energy, and we have a nice comprehensive uh, uh, list of, we can then work back downwards and trace it to all that we see on the ground. Okay? Yes. Thought, speech, and action. And, and, and kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of brainstorm, like a sticky board. Yeah, that's a good idea. But I think let's start getting them in. And you can, how should we do this practically? I would say start writing it down either on notes or whatever. And then start, uh, you can start emailing it. Should we do email? Um, or people should bring it in? What I was thinking maybe, like we did in that other class, if you could have post-its here when we get to class, maybe get to class like a few minutes early next week. And just week, put up on the and wall. And have people just write their things on post-its and then... Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a good idea. So I would say like this. So don't yeah, email. There's no reason to email. Keep it. Keep it for your. Start keeping a list. Start 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 thinking about this idea. And again, the purpose is that we'll be able to once we get through this text, we'll be able to then draw the two realities between the the Kabbalistic reality and what we see on the ground, and see how the lines are connecting back. So start doing that. Whether it's next week or another week, because I don't know if next week we're going to be ready for this. Right, because this is more of a down the line thing. But start compiling it, and then eventually we'll get. Maybe we'll need a um, a post. You know what? That's probably the best idea. Get one of those oak, big oak tag things, or maybe something bigger. And we'll actually we could start doing it, and then pull it out by cabal instead of you know putting it on the wall and pulling it back off. We'll create. Some. Okay, well, we'll this is a work in progress. If anybody has other ideas about how to make this work better, let's uh, schmooze after the class. Thank you all for coming this morning. Here's the yeah. Sure. Thought, speech. Speech usually includes the category of emotion. Speech, I would say, also will be few by emotion. Yeah, you can categorize it however you want. These are just three suggestions. Thought, speech, and action. You can also go with emotions. Yeah, which type of emotions are more of uh, from the feminine energy, from the masculine energy? 
Yeah. But I think the emotion will be fueling either your thoughts or your... I think it's fueled by... Okay. Yeah, however, however you want to categorize it. There's no, there's no wrong way to do this. The point that I want to see is us starting to think about distinctions and then being able to have... See, the, what I want to have happen is the aha. The aha, now I get it. Now it makes sense. Right? Men are from Zah, women are from Malchus. Now I get it. I just gave away the whole thing. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. All right, good. Thank you all for coming out today. Uh,